Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Hasia whose Executive Fellows Program provides Black and Latinx business owners with real-world tools and strategies needed to master fundamental management concepts related to company stability and growth. Registrants learn through one-on-one executive coaching sessions with subject matter experts in the areas of finance, business development, operations, and legal. More info at HACIAWorks.org. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. We did it. We made it to another weekend. Coming up, we will unpack the history of the butt. Yes, the butt. Any butt that's not killing you is a perfectly fine butt. And then it sort of makes you think like, well, what's a butt that would kill you? (laughs) I don't know. But first, let's take a minute to sit back, unwind, and chill out from the week that was. With us this week, we have two excellent humans. Jasmine Garst is a reporter for NPR who is hosting the new podcast, The Last Cup. Jasmine, hello. Hi. I'm so glad to be back. Yay. Glad to have you. We also have Brandon Pope. He's an anchor and reporter at CW26 here in Chicago, and he is hosting the latest season of WBEZ's Making Podcast. Brandon, hello. Great to be here. Good to see you. Okay, so let's start with the World Cup because this is a thing that is happening. Obviously, Jasmine, your (laughs) podcast is all about it. I am extremely not a sports person. So especially Jasmine, I mean, you know, like your whole podcast is about soccer and your love of it. Why should I care about the World Cup? Sell it to me. Sure. (laughs) I think what's appealing to me, soccer is such a way to see the world and understand the world. I mean, you have Mm. these matches which actually means so much more than a sports match, you know? I mean, um, England against Wales, that has a really Mm. a political weight. Iran against the U.S., wow, like that has a heavy, heavy weight. Um, And, you know, for Argentina, it's Lionel Messi's last World Cup. He's the best player in the world or one of the best players in the world. He's announced that he's Mm. retiring after this. And so what I love about soccer and what I love about sports reporting, like good sports reporting, is that it goes into like kind of all the other um, factors, you know, race, class, uh, geopolitics Mm. that sports kind of embodies. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point. So, Brandon, you're following along, too, right? You're a soccer guy. I have. Yeah, it's been it's been fun to see. Uh, I think what's really cool about this World Cup, especially for Team USA, is, you know, we as Americans love an underdog story. And we have that bad taste in our mouth from, you know, not qualifying for World Cups in the past and not being as great on the world stage. And I got a young, fresh, hungry team of young guns and new stars to discover. I think it's good all around for the sport and uh, for U.S. exposure to the sport as well. That's very cool. So, Jasmine, how do you think this compares to World Cups in the past? A lot of the World Cups are are very politicized. You know, I think we're also we should mention that it's it's extremely controversial to hold this in Qatar. Uh, It's Mm. also not a first uh, in terms of controversy. I mean, uh, 
it, Russia 2018 was also very controversial. Um, so I think, you know, it is one of the more political World Cups that I've experienced. But, you know, over and over again, you see like sports events that are very politicized. Um, but this is among the top politicized ones, I would say. Yeah. Interesting. So Another really great story from this week is about the Florida woman. Of course, it's someone from Florida. She's suing Kraft Heinz because she's upset about Velveeta's microwavable shells and cheese. Kraft Heinz, of course, you know, they say it takes three and a half minutes to make, but she is arguing that you have to peel off the lid and add the water before it goes in the microwave, which is adding valuable time to the cooking process. (laughs) So she's filed a class action lawsuit asking for $5 million because of misleading advertising. Do you think this is the best or worst of America? (laughs) She must have been seething about that 15, 30 seconds and seething on it for a very long time to actually take the step of getting a lawyer and having consultation to say, I am taking them to court over 15 to 30 seconds. This woman, she's passionate about her microwave macaroni and cheese. I personally believe mac and cheese should only be consumed if it is baked mac and cheese. (laughs) Fair. Respected. That's the real crime. She should be sued for microwaving her mac and cheese. Also, I'll say in the amount of time that she spent oh getting God. a lawyer <laughs> and yeah. filing this, she could have opened a lot of boxes of mac and cheese. That is a very good point, Jasmine. That's hilarious. She probably could have opened her own mac and cheese business with all the money she spent in legal fees. Wow. I mean, it is funny, partly just because, like, I feel like I can rarely muster up the emotional energy to, like, write an angry tweet, let alone the effort that she has gone through for this whole process. It is pretty wild. There should be a movie made about this. There needs to be, like, a documentary or something. Well, I would like to know, what's this woman's backstory? I mean, what else? Mm. What's going on in her life that she's so angry at mac and cheese? <laughs> yeah, that is a really good question. And yeah, I don't know. To you, maybe that maybe we should all just be extending her some grace. You know, it's probably pretty hard being in her head these days, huh? <laughs> I'm also curious how this even becomes a lawsuit because, like, there's so many factors. Like, they're going to ask her the wattage of her microwave. Like, it's going to be so silly. Like, (laughs) oh my God. You're right. You're totally right. Oh Oh, boy. It's frivolous. It really is. (laughs) I'm also imagining the who's the guy that plays the lawyer in Seinfeld? Like, every time they have like a frivolous lawsuit and he's like, I think we have a case here. <laughs> so what do you think, Jackie? I mean, we got a case. Like taking candy from a baby. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lawyer who would be game to do it, for sure. Oh, they'll, they'll take money for anything, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so Merriam-Webster announced this week that its word of the year is gaslighting, which I think is fascinating and feels like it would have been much more apt a couple of years ago. But I'm curious what y'all think of the choice. Brandon, have have you had a particularly gaslighty year? Uh, I, I haven't. I think the only time I've like seen the word is when people misuse it. It's probably one of the most overused and misused words online today. Like if people have a disagreement, they're saying, oh, you're gaslighting me. And it just it's it's giving, you know, first time learning a new word and not knowing how to use it. And I think that's probably why it got searched so many times. That's usually how Merriam-Webster Yeah, so it. maybe that is apt then, yeah. It's rare because usually Merriam-Webster, they choose their word based off, like, timeliness, right? Like, you'd think something like vaccine or, right. you know, fake news mm. would be something more relevant. I feel gaslit by it. 
<laughs> what do you think, Jasmine? I'm just curious if they're going to use a picture of my ex <laughs> next to it. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't know. Like, uh, it's fascinating, like, that they are just catching up with it. Because, again, like, I can also right. think of, of some other more current words. And I agree. I keep seeing people using – I see people using online a lot of, like, words um, – you know, from like psychology, like gaslighting and breadcrumbing mm. and orbiting. Mm. And uh, th- there's a lot of words that I feel like sometimes are getting overused. Emotional labor is another one. I was one. just going to say that one. Yeah. <laughs> so what word would you choose instead? I was thinking I, I like vibes. I think we should talk more about vibes. <clears throat> I like vibes. That is a good one. That one's used a lot. Like it is by all generations. Like it's like a cross generational yeah, new thing. <laughs> Can just coast on vibes. It's all good. Very vibey. <laughs> I support that move. I support vibes. Also, I had such a hard time translating vibes. Like it's such oh, an English language word. I feel. I mean, you could say wow. like bibadas, but I had a really hard time translating. Which is it. just like literally Spanish vibes, but doesn't work quite the same way. Yeah, it sounds a little like. An, an Americanized term. Hmm. I like, I support the vibes move. Okay, cool. I'm so glad to yeah. hear that. <laughs> okay, so before I let y'all go, our next segment is with the author of a new book called Butts a Backstory. And as part of her research, Heather Radke just talked to a lot of different people about how they felt about their butts, which I just thought is like a fun question and maybe one we should all be asking each other more often. And I, <laughs> you know, I know I'm putting each of you on the spot, but. Uh, Brandon, how do you feel about your butt? <laughs> you know, it's it's not something I've had a lot of deep thought about. Mm, I've definitely fair. been told that I have assets before by many people. I'm part of the, the, the slim thick army in a sense. The, the, the thicker type, thick thighs save lives. So, you know, I, I feel like I have a good butt. I've never actually taken a lot of time to look at it or stare at it, but I be in the gym. Well, it's kind of hard to look I at. I squat. You know? I do squats and stuff, you okay. know, so. The squats are I think, good. I think yeah. it works out, you know. That's amazing. Good for you. Jasmine, how do you feel? I have been told as well that my butt is my greatest asset. So um, <laughs> um, I I love my butt. I come from a butt-o-centric culture. Um, and <laughs> there's been kind of like a a shift, right? Like, I don't know, like in terms of like talking about butts. Well, yeah, the conversation shifted. It used to be like you have these movies you watch from like the early 2000s and 90s where they're making fun of women yeah. f- for having a big butt. Um, and right. it's like, like, what's wrong with them? Like, that's what that's what you shouldn't want. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. People yeah. are trying to make their butt like smaller. I, I also think it has to do with like the diversification of America, you know, and of different mm, yes, bodies. And, so too. and now yeah. like the, the, the conversation is like, how can I get a juicier butt? And, you yeah. know, that's great. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm cake friendly over here. I'm, I'm pro cake. <laughs> yeah. Well, Brandon, Jasmine, thank you both very much for coming on. This was super fun. Anytime. Thank you. Thank you. In just a minute, the story behind the behind. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen 
as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Our next guest, Heather Radke, has asked a lot of people how they feel about their butts. Some folks seem to unequivocally love their derrieres, like we heard earlier in this episode. But for a lot of us, it's a little more complicated than that, which makes sense because bodies are weird. The way we look at our butts can actually tell us a lot about control and power and racism. And today we are going to get into it. Heather's book, Butts, A Backstory, explores the human history of our relationship to our backsides. She's also a contributing editor at Radiolab. Heather, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I have to say, we've been having a great time around the office just yelling about butts since we found out that we were going to get to read this book and talk to you about it. That's right. You get to say butts when you when you interview me. <laughs> Are you over it yet? The butt stuff? Well, I'm I'm not over the book, but I am probably the novelty of saying butts has it's worn out a little bit. <laughs> I'm just really used to it. I've sent a lot of emails with butts in the in the subject line or in the, you know, body where I'm like, dear famous professor, uh, I would like to interview you about butts. I promise I'm a serious person. (laughs) So why butts? Well, let's see. The project started when I was in my first year of my MFA at Columbia. I was writing an essay about shame and I was thinking about my body and shame and how I've always been well, maybe not always, but for a long time, I was ashamed of having a big butt. I'm a white woman. I grew up in the suburbs of Lansing, Michigan and in the 90s. And it was like not the the butt du jour of that time in that place. Mm. But then for that essay, I interviewed my mom and I imagined that we would actually have pretty similar experiences because our bodies are relatively similar. And I had always gotten the impression that she didn't like her butt either. Mm. But then when I talked to her about it, I realized that her shame was coming from a really different place than mine was. And I got interested in the idea that butts could come in and out of fashion, that a body part could become fashionable and not fashionable, and that it could mean so many different things to so many different people. And so I wrote a little essay about it. And when I was working on that, I learned about a woman named Sarah Bartman. And Sarah Bartman was a woman who was brought up from Cape Town in the early, early 19th century to London And she was displayed as a freak show in like downtown London um, because she was a black woman with a big butt. And so I started to really see how complicated and deep the ideas about butts really are. And I realized that it wasn't just an essay project, but it was actually a book project. When you talk to those people, did any of them just like unequivocally love their butts or? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's not just like complicated for everybody. I just you like female bodies. It's just so complicated, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, I think maybe not unequivocally, but I think there's <laughs> I definitely talk to people who love their butts or like, yeah, this is fun. Yeah. People who have big butts and love them. People have sort of smaller butts and feel good about them. Hmm. But most people had some kind of feeling about their butt. It's funny. I think my biggest hang up is my feet because they're so big. It's hard to find shoes that fit them. Like that's always been my biggest struggle. Well, that's interesting. I mean, it's I do think the 
finding clothes that fit you thing. It sucks. It's really hard. And something I learned doing research for the book is that there's like a really concrete reason for it. I mean, clothes and shoes are they're industrial products mm-hmm. and bodies are not industrially made. Mm-hmm. And so there will always be a mismatch between like how your body exists and how clothes will fit your body. But I think for so many of us, the feeling is that there's something wrong with our body. Oh, absolutely. But actually there's something wrong with clothes as like a thing, like, (laughs) like they can't fit you because if they're going to, unless they were made exactly for you, they just will not fit you. Mm. There is something kind of, it's like both infuriating and beautiful about that. I think, you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Say more. How so? (laughs) Well, I just mean that like, there's the like, great. It's, you know, it's another celebration of imperfection, which I really love. I think that like, I am glad that I wasn't, that I am the way I am and that I wasn't like, I'm formed from a cookie cutter or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, However, the frustration of, you know, subsequently then like what's wrong with my feet that I can't find anything that fits them is also extremely frustrating. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I think what I find frustrating is that there's a kind of world that suggests there's something wrong with your feet. You know, there's nothing wrong with your feet. Oh, absolutely. Well, I think that's so much of what you get at in this book. Everyone has a butt. They're all perfectly functional in terms of like a thing you can sit on, a thing that helps you get up and down stairs. You know, like you talk about this even in the intro, right? Like you didn't think about your butt until other people started talking to you about it and saying it was too big. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait a second. There's just all this stuff that's imposed on us. I think especially women when it comes to our bodies. Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, I love this quote from this um this professor named Chris Hoffa, he, he said to me, he was like, Heather, any butt that's not killing you is a perfectly fine butt. <laughs> and then it sort of makes you think like, well, what's a butt that would kill you? <laughs> I don't know. But, yes. but it's, you know, I think that there's always this kind of like light evolutionary psychology that's in questions of butts and breasts, which is like that there's, mm-hmm. that there might be some butt out there that's like scientifically better than other another but you know but that's I mean as far as I understand it that is definitely not the case and that it's kind of important that we we know that because one of the things about the butt as you said at the beginning is it's like it's fun and it's funny and it's easy to not take seriously but because it's so easily you know so easy to not take seriously that it's also kind of easy to not interrogate our feelings about it and think about where they come from so why does the butt look the way it does Well, there's two parts of the butt. There's the muscle part and there's the fat part. So the fat in the butt is complicated and actually like a lot harder to know. Female humans have a lot more fat on their bodies than male humans. Mm -hmm. And where they store the fat is, is quite a bit different. So a lot of women store their fat in their hips and their breasts, which is not they don't have to basically there's no like there are some potential reasons but it's not like people who don't have that fat can't raise children or whatever yes definitely not that like so basically the reason is that you need fat somewhere and the fat is a it's relatively convenient to store fat in that part of your body it's like um kind of physiologically convenient mm-hmm. but there's a lot of people who have like a lot of different other theories about it and so i think the most straightforward thing we can say is like Butts are there to help you run around and jump around and also as a place to store fat for procreation, breastfeeding and pregnancy. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating because aside from 
you know, functional elements of the butt. I mean, you talk about there's so much more wrapped up in them than that, right? I mean, we talked a little bit about shame, there's sexualization, racism, body standards, so much stuff that we just don't really talk about. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think like a way I think about it is like physiologically and sort of scientifically, the butt doesn't really mean that much. Like there's not that much meaning inherent in it. Um, but then there's just all these mm. layers we've put on top of it, you know? So there's kind of like the gen, the way it's been hyper gendered. So like to, to like, quote unquote, be a woman, you need to like have a certain kind of, butt. Mm. um, and then there's all the meanings that a small butt carries too, you know, in the twenties fashion really changed and what some fashion historians call the rectangle woman came into fashion and in some ways has really never left, even as we do see kind of a little bit of fluctuation around that. Like buttlessness means something too, right. you know? Well, and I think it's so tied in too with the idea of, you know, the ideal woman doesn't take up that much space. But it's interesting because in the 19th century, the ideal woman took up so much space that right. she couldn't even get in the door of the room where like people were making decisions. It's sort of two sides of the same coin. Yeah. It's fascinating because even, but then that's a hindrance, right? Like that's making it difficult for women to access certain spaces because they're taking up so much space. Whereas now it's like, you know, how dare you take up more than one seat on the train or whatever? Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, it's, it's just the, you know, these multiple ways that patriarchy and misogyny kind of can, can infect women's bodies and what becomes the ideal for a woman's body. Yeah, it's, yes, again, fascinating and infuriating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you you mentioned how intertwined this history is with racism. I'm curious how you were careful to navigate that as a white woman when you're writing about this. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely, it was something I thought about constantly as I was writing the book. And so there were a bunch of different things I I tried to do to make sure that I was thoughtful about that. I really called upon a book called the history of white people by Nell Taylor. And that book, it helped me to kind of frame my thinking around whiteness because part of what was happening in the 19th century as kind of these so-called scientists were creating this idea of like the hypersexual big butted black woman was they were trying to also create an ideal of whiteness. So I, I guess I just sort of, one of the things I was trying to do in the book was demonstrate how any history of race is also a history of whiteness and that, you know, as a white person, part of what I see my work as being is to talk about those histories too. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. So this book is dedicated to your mom, um, Mm. which is cool. And you talk about, you know, watching her, how she was kind of one of the only naked people you saw as a kid and, and then, you know, being in gym locker rooms. Um, I don't know. It's interesting to think about just as a daughter myself to like how, how formative I think moms and their relationships to their bodies are to daughters in terms of us learning how we're supposed to move through the world and, you know, like, am I shaving my legs and all that stuff? What did that look like for you growing up? I don't think my mom never explicitly, you know, made me feel ashamed about my body, which I know is a story a lot of women have. I mean, I think she was very celebratory, but I think I saw her struggle with her own body image and her and her, she's one of five sisters. I think all of them did. And the ideas about bodies are, you know, they don't just come to us from what people say to you explicitly. It's also unconscious and implicit. And it's, mm-hmm. I think I, uh, you know, I, I learned from her, but probably more from the 
from society at large that there are right ways to have a have a body and that there are wrong ways and that's a really hard thing to unwind once it's been once it's in there you know absolutely so yeah at the end of the book you say you wish that you could say that this project had kind of freed you from negative feelings about your butt but you say there's no magic bullet i'm curious i don't know i mean especially after having had a kid and breastfeeding this new person how do you feel about your butt or maybe more broadly your body these days i mean pregnancy really, really is its own uh, you're supporting a whole other human yeah it's amazing so it's kind of a strange time to be thinking about my body because what my body is for right now feels pretty different than it, what it's been for in the past but of course i'm thinking about it a lot because the book is coming out and yeah you know, I don't know. I think I, f- I feel much more neutrally about my my body than I did before I write, wrote this book. So what is the most surprising thing you learned while reporting this? I imagine you ended up sort of like uncover or maybe what's the most interesting thing that you couldn't put in the book for whatever reason that like didn't make it? Well, there's this fact that I I found out this fact early on and I could not like I worked so hard to try to get it corroborated. I just sort of hope it's true, which is that in the medieval times that Christian, like above churches, they would sometimes put people with butts like facing out, like, like, uh, you know, like sculptures and because it was supposed to ward off the devil because he doesn't have a butt and he's jealous of butts. God, that's so good. I hope it's real. I hope it's real too. But it's like the kind of thing that's like perfect, but I just I couldn't put it in there unless I had like found another source because it seemed it just seemed it seemed sort of seems like absolutely bananas. Like it's totally ridiculous. Oh my gosh. Well, Heather, thank you so much for chatting with me. This was such a pleasure. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure too. that's it for this week thank you for listening it is almost the end of the year somehow so this month we are going to be rounding up some of the best stuff of the year we're doing podcasts book and tv shows and first up is podcasts which means we would love to know what your favorite podcast of 2022 is we posed this question on instagram the other day somebody dm'd us and was like is this a trick question obviously nerdette love to hear it that's not exactly what i'm asking for though if we are your favorite of course we wouldn't mind hearing that either way you can record your answer in a voice memo and send it to nerdettepodcast at gmail.com nerdette is produced by me and anna bauman along with sam deer our executive producer is brendan banazak we will see you next week my butt what's going on with my butt nerdette is supported by the sympathizer podcast from hbo join host philip nguyen in conversation with the cast crew and author viet tan nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic hbo original limited series stream new episodes of hbo's the sympathizer sundays exclusively on max and listen to the sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts